they all still heard me. But this is for online. I got it. So Proverbs 29, verse 18 uh, is where we will be at uh, for a, a while this morning um, together. So uh, if you want to, you can go and get there. We will get there in a second. Before we do that, I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for this morning. I'm going to pray for this text, the sermon, your ears, uh, several things. But if we can, let us join together once again uh, in prayer. Let us pray. Lord God, I come before you this morning. We come before you this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. We stand in reverence of that word every Sunday morning. Lord, we will do the same again. But Lord, we pray that you would be with us as we start this new mini-series of Sort Sword together as a church. Lord, I pray that you would bless the pastor, the preacher, the study, the prayer, the preparation. Lord, that your word would come alive to us because it is a living and an active word. That it would accomplish all that you set out for it to accomplish. Or Lord, I pray also for the hearer. Those who are here this morning, who come to hear and listen to worship and to respond to all that you are. Lord, may your word take root in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, Lord. And would you bless us in our obedience to all that you call us to. Once again, take away all distraction from our minds this morning that we may peer into your word. We pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, I uh, do not have my sermon timed, okay? I never really do that anyway, but I always know that when I'm in four pages of notes, it's somewhere around about 40 minutes. Now, you already know what's coming, don't you? Oh, gosh, here it is. This is a disclaimer. Well, no, it's not too. I got five pages of notes, okay? Uh, Oh, my goodness. Ten extra minutes. Listen, let's see what happens. I, um, I'm coming at it this morning, um, a new series for us as a church. If you're here often, and I can't promise that I'm not going to get excited at some point and just kind of, you know, do, do what I usually do in my personality and nature. I'm zealous and passionate about God's Word, but I will say this, there's something part of me, I was talking uh, beforehand with Cheryl, and Cheryl nailed it. She nailed it for me as we were talking. This morning's a little, I want to, if I can, if I can like pull up to a table and tell you as a church, grab a cup of coffee. I want to plead with you. Oftentimes, sometimes I preach in a certain way and demeanor, and I may still do that because it's part of who I am, but truthfully, I want to beg you to listen to me this morning. I beg you to do so. I beseech you, brethren to hear what God's word has to say. Now, in the state of North Carolina, if you're going to build anything, whether it be an office building, a a church building even, a school, one of the first things that you're going to have to do before you do any of that building, before one hammer is picked up, before any nail is driven into any board, you need to get a blueprint. You have to have Blueprints. Blueprints have to be established as the the plan so that others can look at that plan and vouch that it is a good plan. Until the state says good plan, you cannot begin to get the permits to build whatever you're seeking to build. And if you don't have blueprints, they won't let you start. And honestly, Honestly, church, if we're honest, without the blueprints, you don't even want to actually start building. For without the blueprints, chaos ensues. Mistakes can be made. Danger can come from it. Waste and oftentimes maybe even setbacks, which will lead to financial issues, may be incurred. Without the blueprints... Things go haywire quick, can. Now, blueprints, when I say blueprints, those of you who are like in architecture, you know these type of things, blueprints is actually outdated. We don't actually use blueprints anymore. I don't know if you know that. You know, the blue things that have the, the but what, what we have now 
is basically a new, this is what happened before we had printers and we had all these things that go. We take the original, the original plans, they were drawn up and the blueprints were negatives. They were negatives of the original and those were sent into uh, the foreman of this job. The, 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 archi- the architecture would, would put these things together. The, the electricians and the carpenters and the plumbers and all such, all these individuals uh, put in charge of the enterprise of building would have a blueprint of the original. And see, this is what I want you to see this little sermon series to kind of be in the next five weeks. Hopefully you will see that what we are setting out to do together as a church is the blueprints being sent to you out even this morning from an original. Now this morning allow me to be as frank and honest as I possibly can with all of you. I am young to some of you. To others of you, I am old, right? A, a, a wonderful story uh, this week, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I kind of just have to. Katrina, I heard you laugh. Um, I was with the kids on Wednesday night. You know, our men's Bible group went, and I had the pleasure, and it really was a pleasure, to be with Katrina working with the kids for a week. And I walked in there, and Katrina was, uh, we were doing Valentine's, and, and Miss Katrina says, hey, kids, we're going to make some Valentine's for some of our uh, elderly people in our church. And uh, my, wife, my, my daughter, Elizabeth, goes, oh, oh, I want to do Ed and Cheryl, Miss, Mr. Ed and Miss Cheryl. Now, if you know anything about Ed, he just had a 60-year-old birthday. I, tell, I can tell yours because you, everybody knows it. And he's having a hard time with it. So I was not going to waste that story. And so Katrina asked a second follow-up question. She, like, she heard what, he, what she said, and Katrina said, well, well, Elizabeth, we're, this is more for the elderly people in the church. He goes, yeah, I want to do, do Ed and Cheryl. So she doubled down in her oldness of you guys, okay? You love it. Isn't that special? Isn't it wonderful? Listen, we're all getting there, Ed. We're all getting there. I am a young man. I'm 40 years old, and I'm, older, I'm old to some of you guys. My, my, my daughter probably thinks I'm elderly. But at 40, I'm telling you something right now. I'm, already, I'm getting so tired. I'm tired of men like me. What I mean by that is I'm talking about position. Men like me who constantly sit in places like this and stand in pulpits and places of influence who constantly, specifically in the church, declare things like, if you want to grow a church, then you need to think growth. If you want to triple your attendance in two years, do A plus B equals C. If you want a desired ends, just follow me. Do these steps. If you can dream it, you can believe it. And if you can believe it, then you can achieve it. Then after maybe someone like myself in a position like myself stands and says those things, perhaps they add a little extra spice to everything that's just said. And they say maybe something like, hey, and by the way, church, God agrees. After all, the Bible says in Proverbs 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Therefore, church, listen, get a vision. Get a plan, get a blueprint of how to do this, this, this in your church. Get a vision of how to be taken serious in our culture. Get a vision of becoming relevant in our society today. Out with the old, the stale, the tried. Get some of that new, new. By the way, new things are not always bad things. Y'all know that, right? Can I have an amen on that? Thank you. New things are not always bad things. I'm going to see if I get another amen for this. Old things aren't always bad things. God has allowed us, yes, and you'll see this this morning, God has allowed us to, to be people of our cultural context in the place in which we are. We were made, listen to this, and I have a hard time with this sometimes. Sometimes I wish I could be born like in 1400s on a horse with a sword, and that would be really awesome. 
It would be awesome. I'd probably got smallpox and died at 22, right? The thing is, is that we may have hard times feeling like we're fish out of water sometimes. Let me tell you something. You and I were born for such a time as this. We are here and this moment in this time for a reason. And there is a sense in which God would expect and desire for us to do things in new ways. But listen to me, please, church. Not at the expense of the old things. And you say, define old. Well, let me, I'll just, I'm not doing that this morning. I got a whole series to do that. But let me just put it this way. If it's biblical, it's not old. If it's biblical, it's not old. If it's biblical, that means it's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to penetrate the heart and the dividing soul of every man, woman, child. It is not old. By the way, if it is biblical, it is the most relevant thing that we can talk about in the church today. You want to get relevant? Get you a Bible. The words of the proverb, this proverb, 29, 18, are well known, but the true meaning is oftentimes little known. Here again, as an example, is one of the examples of one of the most abused and misapplied verses in the Bible. Here it would do well for the church to have less possible, listen, less vision. And in this, more precision. Less vision, more precision. Jared Wilson in a book that he wrote entitled The Gospel Wakefulness, wrote a section on this very uh, verse that we have before us this morning. And this is what he said in his book. Proverbs 29.18 is not about your big ideas. Uh, Proverbs 29.18 may be one of the most misapplied verses in all of the evangelical church today. Many a church leader has used it to spiritualize his strategies and blackmail followers into supporting his entrepreneurship. Vision statements are cast. Mission statements are crafted to serve the vision. A list of values is composed to serve the mission. An army of excuse me, an array of programs is developed to serve the values. A stable of leaders is recruited to serve the programs. An army of volunteers are inspired to assist the leaders. He goes on to say, but what if a leader's good idea for church growth or success was not the vision of Proverbs 29:18 and that it ever had in mind. What if we aren't free to insert anything we come up with, no matter how spiritual or inspired by God he has here, we feel it may be. My throat hurts because I was singing. There is a fountain filled with blood pretty, pretty hard. Good song. Church, listen. I am not a church growth strategist. Thank God. I am not a man with a desire to write and sell any books. I really have no big desires to have my name in lights. I really don't care about those things. I am not necessarily the trendiest, the coolest, the hippest guy you've ever met, and I know you're probably thinking, are you sure? Never been told that very much, starting with my wife. She, tells, she keeps me humble. She keeps me honest. Quit trying to dress me every Sunday morning. That's why I want to tell you to stop doing that. Because of that, guys, listen to me. I have never really been driven. I, I like, I want people to like me. I want all of you to like me. I'm human, right? But being liked by you, having the applause of man, has not ever really truly been a motivational factor for any of my ministry throughout my life. It just isn't what I draw. I don't, I don't need it. Kyle, you may ask, why do you state that? Because I want you to know something, church. That nothing I have to say from this moment forward, meaning in the next couple weeks in this series, 
is a desire for anything other than what are my own personal intentions, my own personal convictions and goals in saying it. And you say, then what are they, Kyle? Get with it. My allegiance to Scripture, my fidelity to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, and my desire for your ultimate strength, your good, our joy in our own life and ministry as a church together. Kyle, what is your motives? That is my motives. As a plurality of pastors come together, three of us currently, we're praying currently for two other men in the life of this church. We meet, we've been meeting with them. We're going, we've already went through one book. We're going through two books together. We've done a, a, a theological um, assessment of these men. We're going to hopefully be praying to meet with their wives very, really, really soon. If God has allowed and he leads for us to have five pastors of this church really soon, I want you to know that church, we as a plurality, we are not setting out here trying to sell you on a vision. That a couple of guys got to go around the table, throwing out some things, making themselves look good, each, good to each other, trying to outdo one another, feeling good about ourselves, petting our egos and setting ourselves up for what we say is success. If we are honest, and I think the heart of all five of these men, three specifically, two hopefully coming, brothers and sisters, the last thing you need, church, the last thing you need is vision from men. You can say amen to that. That's okay. That's the last thing you need. And yet, sadly, there is no short supply of man's vision today flowing from many a church pulpit and boardroom. However, what is woefully lacking and in short supply today is often a vision from God. Now, we only have one verse, so it may feel a little funny. Let us stand in reverence of God's word as we read this text together. We hear it a lot. It's quoted often. Proverbs 29, 18 Excuse me, 2019. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. And you now may be seated. Often, when this passage is being used or quoted, many like using the KJ version, KJV version alone. And usually without the completion of the full text, which says in that version, without the fullness of the text, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no direction from a source given to those in the enterprise that ultimately they will die. And typically within our fashion and culture, if you don't, get on board with something, if you don't understand something, if you don't do this type of thing, I'm saying that the outcome will be you will die. In the context of modern Christianity, maybe that means your numbers will decline. Maybe that means that something of the life and the vibrancy of the church, if you have no clear vision, the people will die. Maybe your worship dies. Maybe your numbers die. And I don't believe that that's necessarily a bad interpretation but here's the thing, what is dangerous is if we run with this text in this manner, and that is all that is being said, it's not what's being said that's so problematic, it's what's not being said that's, not being, prob that's being problematic. There's, guys, listen to me, I'm going to say something, and that gets me in a lot of trouble often. Do you know that you can, there's a way in which we can know false teachers and false prophets and bad preachers from what they say. We know that, right? That's easy. Oh, not in the Bible. Not clear. That's not there. He said something outside of Scripture. Ding, 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 ding. We can say, oh. But what if I told you, church? It's not always only what is being said that is most important. Or excuse me. Yeah, yeah. But what's not being said that's just as important. Listen, we're living in a day and age that literally, listen, the gospel is being so brought down to its lowest common denominator as to be warm and fuzzy with everyone around us that they're literally, we seek unity at the expense of true biblical unity. What do you believe? What do you think about Christ? What do you think about the gospel? These are the things, the right answers to these things are our unity. Not the shallowness and the smallness of Jesus Christ. Not bring the gospel to the lowest common denominator so 
We have you. No. Right. What do we believe about God? Who is God? If God stood before us and said, here I am, who's with me? We want those who say, we know God, we're with you. Not a figment of our imaginations or our culture has prescribed and allow us to do. So here you have before us, it's not only what is not, what's being said, it's what's not said. So now let us look or unpack this little verse to better understand what is being stated here accurately. So if you have your Bible before you, and I know that you do, the first thing I want you to see is the need of vision. I need you to hear me something say now. Kyle says we don't need any vision. No, he didn't. We, church, need vision. And it says where there is no prophetic vision. Here is where we must think blueprint, as the series suggests. What is said, what is and must be the plan for our moving forward and our actions as a church and as a people. In other words, what must be our foundation of all of our life and all of our ministry together? Should it be built on and based upon Pastor Kyle's experiences? The answer to that is no. Should it be man's education or his credentials? The answer to that is, if you don't know already, no. Through man's giftedness in and of himself, the answer to that is no. The answer if we need a plan and we need a blueprint, it is to be found in this blueprint, the Bible, which is God's living and acting forever plan. This is where we must find our building plan. You ask the question, it says in our text, where there is no prophetic vision. You may ask, what is the vision of the prophets? Scripture states to us, it's the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now, you see this in Romans 16. So I think I have that on the screen here. Romans 16, 24 uh, through 27. And look what it says there in the text. Now, to him who is able... To strengthen you. Okay, stop. Strengthening you as a church in life and ministry, good thing. We need more of that, right? He says, Apostle Paul, now to him who is able to strengthen you, meaning God, according to my gospel, Paul, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, revelation given to us by revelation of the Holy Spirit needed, that was kept for a secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, listen, through the prophets writing, the prophets, has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Paul says if you want a blueprint, if you want to know how to do this thing correctly to the glory of God and the good of his people and the good of, by the way, a lost and dying world, you get it from the prophets. You get it from Jesus Christ. You get it from the, the apostles. Brothers and sisters, prophetic vision is not my vision. It's God's vision given to us. This is the vision for which we are to have. The NIV translate this section of the text where there is no revelation. No, the text is clear. We are not in need of more of man's vision, plans, and, and, and inclinations. Actually, as I've said before, we need less of it, less vision and more precision on God's plan and blueprint. On the scriptures, this must be the church's guiding light for all of us. The more and more I grow in Christianity, even in my own context of American culture, I'm going to say something that you might laugh or not agree with, and that's okay with me. You can do that. You can, agree with, you can disagree with the pastor. I personally feel like more and more people are actually falling in love with Jesus. Listen to me, please. I believe that in our culture, actually more and more people actually are falling in love with Jesus. And they're falling more and more out of love with his word. Did you hear what I just said? 
I meet people with a concept of who Jesus Christ is all the time. Jesus made in their own image. Oh, I love Jesus. Define Jesus. Oh, he sounds a lot like them, just a little bit better. There's a lot of people that are very, very passionate and excited about a God they really don't know. But are we excited and passionate about the God in whom is known and we do know? To see this even further, if you look with me in the text, look with me where a second where it says in verse 18, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, something going on here from, from, from verse, the first verse we just looked at, the first part of it. But blessed is he who keeps the what? The law. Now, I need you to know something real quick. When this is written in the Proverbs, uh, this is a situation referring to not the law of God, the Ten Commandments, even though that is a part of it. We've been doing that and looking at through the, the book of Galatians. But ultimately, the law is the Torah. For the Jewish people of Israel, they had the five books of the Bible. At this time, when you have Proverbs, the, 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 the prophets are coming. But in order to understand the Bible, Scripture, it's the law of God, the Torah, for the Jewish people. So he's saying here, the one giving the proverb, Solomon says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Blessed is he who knows God's word. And the word but contrasts something from the first clause with the second one. Obviously, what is being contrasted are those that there is no revelation from God and with those who keep the law, the scriptures. What this verse is telling us is that they're literally, it warns us against turning from the revelation of God, his word, and promises and establishes blessings to those who honor him in their precision and obedience to this vision, to this blueprint, to this plan. The verse says nothing of the importance of having a church that is led by a man's vision or the need of a visionary. Listen to me right now. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this, so go ahead and mark it down. Pastor Kyle's saying this today. You don't need me. I'm, I was waiting to see who the first person said amen to that because I was going to remember who that was, right? You don't need me. No one of God's spokesmen throughout history have ever been that important and that wise apart from a move of God in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that indwells them. Ever, including this pastor this morning. May more men of God declare that in our own day. Oh God, less of me and more of you. If God is not in it, church, you don't want it. And if man can create it apart from God, utter trash and distraction it is in the life and the ministry of the church. Period and end stop. It also says in Proverbs 19 through 21, just to kind of send that, that point a little home a little bit, God's word says, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Those whose aim and vision is this blueprint receive God's blessings. But listen to me, church, not as the world defines blessings. We're not looking for the world's definition of success and blessings. We need a bigger and better and more glorious vision of God's definition of success and what it means to be successful as a church. So in the next couple weeks, as we continue on in the series, this is introduction today, we are going to look at ways in which God has prescribed, and not man, to build his church. How to grow our church. And I'll explain that more at the end. So it is important for us to understand this of first importance. You need vision, and I agree with that. You do, I do, and I say wonderful then as pastors, we had best be dependent and ever committed to aligning ourselves closely with this vision. And you, as a church, should ever be seeking for men who align themselves with that vision. Listen, the church today, brothers and sisters, is a mile wide and an inch deep. I pray God to give us the fortitude, the mental capacity, the discernment of spirit to know the difference between the two. They run rampant today. 
But continue on with me in the text. Now, second, we need vision. We have vision. We have clarity. We understand. But here it says in our text next, the people cast off restraint. The people cast off restraint. The words the people perish, as we already established, is often interpreted by proponents of the church growth movement to mean that churches without clear vision will lose possibly numbers and members and unable to actually flourish as a church. You want to grow your church? Don't do it that way. This is how you do it. We've seen success. Look at this. Look at our plan. Look at our model. Read this book. In other words, unless you get a vision, which may oftentimes be their vision, sold in their book, you will not experience the growth that you so want. So jump on board or else you'll die. The NASB states of this section, the people cast off restraint. It actually says the people, it says that the people are unrestrained. No, the text does not suggest that where there is no vision from man, the people die. No, it states before us very vividly and clearly where there is no vision, God's word, his plan and his blueprint, his leading and his directing, the people go wild and run in every sort of direction. Chaos ensues. Brothers and sisters, bad things happen. Shortcuts are taken. Pieces get left out. Mistakes are made. The greatest fears I have in ministry is a per- I'm, I'm going to share with you something personal. You've heard me say this before. Is that in my excitement or good intentions even maybe that can happen for success and desire for growth that one day I look in the rearview mirror of my Christian walk in ministry and I look to see what's behind me and Jesus is back there waving going, you went way farther than I ever intended. But somehow or another I believe that I could drive off into the distance and not need Christ. That is something that haunts me in ministry. I never want to stand before God and him say, not well done, good and faithful servant, but why did you leave me? Why did you go on without me? Many may be even well-meaning, and I want to say that. Listen to me. I do believe that there's a lot of well-meaning people who do a lot of things that aren't healthy or good or mature. Their hearts, I, I don't, I don't some, I, a lot of people, I don't question hearts. I don't question motive in the sense of wanting to do what's right. But maybe at that point, maybe that individual who's leading in that regard could do a little bit less vision and a little bit more precision of God's word. Isn't that an interesting idea? Before we get to leading, when we have a plan ourselves and get to know the plan that God has for us and not the one we created or that we thought we could do better than the church down the road. His word, his blueprint, his way. I'm looking at my manuscript because I, I, I've got illustrations. My wife says stick to the plan, and, and oftentimes I don't get off. I, I, I'm going to add one. I told you I wasn't important. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. You don't want me to be important. <laughs> you don't. You don't. Even since I've been here sometimes, I know that there's a situation from the past. It's like, we don't want the pastor to be involved with everything. We don't want him to say everything. We don't, need, we don't want one man leading the charge. I think it's very good and it's very biblical that you don't want that to happen. And sometimes some of you want me to be that man. No, 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 no. I can't be that man. Because I know what's in my heart, brothers and sisters. Don't tell an alcoholic to go to the, the bar and hang out if he struggles with alcoholism. I know the heart of man and what rests inside of me and the ability for it to grow. I don't want it. Don't give it to me. I don't want it. Listen to me. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He bought me with his blood. I am a new creation in Christ. My old has gone. I am no longer who I used to be. My God, my Savior, my King is in the force, in the issue of this illustration is like the chef who whips up in his expertise a, a massively amazing dish. World-renowned, five stars, impeccable, the greatest dish you will ever eat. And he's called me a lowly peasant from the back of the restaurant who, who was living in a box and had no hope of anything. He calls me and says, I want you to be a servant of my meal. 
My responsibility as a servant is to go and receive from that back, receive from the chef all that he has and put it on such a way. And I am supposed to tiptoe and watch out. I'm doing the very best I can, the very best I can. Every watching, very mindful, scared. I don't want to drop this. I don't want to mess it up. I don't want, I'm just going to get it to the table. My responsibility as a shepherd, my responsibility as a pastor is to get that which the master has made the renowned chef, and to put it on your table the way I found it without messing it up and walk away and watch you eat and to see how that transforms your palate and your idea of that meal. It is not my responsibility to go and take the plate from the chef and go and look at it and go, that's outdated. Oh, There you are. This stinks. Well, of course it does. It didn't come from the chef, right? The thing is, it's not my responsibility to get creative, to do things on my own apart from the, 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 the plan and the master's plan. Brothers and sisters, I am a servant of God. I don't get to change what the master has given me to give to you. And may that be the saying of all of us here as Christian men and women in this church. The word translated in our text, perish, is derived from the, the, a verb meaning para, not in the Greek, but in the, in the Hebrew sense, which generally means to let go or to let loose. This is where we get the word like parachute. You pull the string and what happens? It lets loose, it lets go. It is often used in the Bible. We see this in Leviticus 10, 6, and 21 through 10, where literally it's to, to let go of a turban. And what happens, specifically for women or men, they would take the term and doubt, and what would fall out? Their hair. It's unrestrained. It's less loose. The wind takes it to and fro. That's what we have before us. It says, where there is no vision, the people cast out all restraints. What would happen in our culture if all restraints were pulled up? If you look at the next slide, we have them all around us every single day that we live. If stop signs because they're there for a purpose and reason we say we don't like them anymore we don't understand why we need them anymore so we take them up one way streets hey don't touch this it'll electrify you don't step here I think oftentimes there are red lights and stop lights going to a baseball game have you ever noticed the net that's there take the net up you get busted in the face right they started putting nets there for a reason because everybody's getting busted in their faces Go to the Grand Canyon, stand there with your children without a, a rail, a guardrail. Well, uh, not good. You pull these things up, brothers and sisters, we go off into very dangerous places. The, the, the safeties that we have before us are no longer there, and massive things happen. Brothers and sisters, this is our guardrail. It helps us to understand you've gone farther than God ever intended back up. Don't move there. Scripture says, stop, don't do it. Danger, danger, danger. This can happen moralistically as well, which is why so much of the world can find its way even into the church, culturally speaking. Meaning the church can begin to lose her distinctions from the world around her. Signs and guideposts and nets, walls. And what happens the world begins to influence the church because we've let her in and we have not understood the distinction between what is and what isn't. And why? Because there was no vision. There was no blueprint. The people cast off all restraints because they were not aligned to the blueprint. And they ran off in all kinds of directions. We begin to build all of this. If we begin to build all of this church, meaning the church, meaning what we do and everything else around it, without God's plan, churches, Listen, we do it all the time. I'm saying us, I'm saying we do it all the time. When this begins to happen in a church, if and when there is a slide in this one area, God's blessing will not be in what follows. And I put here in my text, because I want to make sure you know this, sure, there may be numeric growth and even excitement around what ensues away from this blueprint. We see it all the time. But that is never a proof for what of any sort of true spiritual growth and or God's blessings. It can be, it can be, but it is not the only aspect as we'll come to see in the next couple weeks. 
As it pertains to the Old Testament, I want you to see something. If you don't mind, go to Hosea for me there. Hosea, Hosea the prophet. Chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge. You've rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. And listen to this one. Amos 8, 11 through 13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. God says in the nation of Israel in Old Testament that there's coming a day when the vibrancy of youth, you young people, you young people up there right now listening, there will be a day in which the youth will long for some meat, they will long for something to eat, they will long for something to drink, and there will be no one to give it to them. They hunger and they thirst. God has given us his word. He speaks continually today. And we need men and yes, women to preach and teach or speak the truth. Something worth putting in my mouth. But God has spoken and for whatever reason, whether it is ignorance, maybe, maybe it's a lack of maturity, sure. Maybe it's fear or by, maybe it's by purpose and design. The people starve in language due to an abundance of man's vision, wisdom, opinions, and thought continually taking the place of God's. Today, there are many church leaders, corporate entrepreneur types, you know, those type of vision casters, who think they are giving the people vision. And again, maybe they are well-meaning even at doing such. And yet the scripture states that no, the people are spiritually starving. They are anemic. They are malnourished. They are sickly and they are weak. In America specifically, the church is daily being fed vision. We have vision everywhere. Go to Facebook. Go to YouTube. It's, we got vision. We got them on our bookshelves. We got them, at, we got them on the street corner. We got vision everywhere. 2 Timothy 3.7 says, of that generation, Paul says, a people that are always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Oh, we are ever learning. But we are a generation and a culture that is ever, ever having the difficulty finding the truth. Church, listen to me. America is starving. That may get me in trouble for some. Perhaps that makes me sound a little bit judgmental or even pride-filled. And Lord knows that is not my heart or my desire. I am not frustrated and I am not angry. My heart grieves and I am sorrowful for the things that are before us today. No fire, no loud voice, a quivering truth of the reality that my heart is broken for the church. Wake up and return to your first love, it says in Revelation. Wake up before it dies. The state of the pulpit today, I'd say real preaching, that's going to get me in trouble too. Spirit-dependent preaching, expositional and exegetical, and what I don't mean is we're doing a topical series right now. But I'm talking about a preaching that says, I'm going to derive all my ideas and all my great ideas from this text instead of letting all my great ideas be applied to the text. I'm going to take a bunch of Bible verses out of context and preach it to people and say, look, I'm a preacher. No, you're not. You're a little boy who needs to sit down and learn how to do this thing. Rightly dividing the word of God is an aspect of what a preacher and a teacher and a pastor are supposed to be able to do. If you can't do that yet, sit down and learn how to do it first. 
Your heart might be in the right place. You might be doing really great things. You might have really great ideas. But brother, sit down. We live in a day where entertainment rules. The customer is always king. The newest expression must always be the best version and expression. And a great deal are willing to feed the masses whatever they want so long as they receive a benefit or a cut from it themselves, often desiring maybe the allure of success or the illusion of it. We desire success, college acres, God's way. Where God is the receiver of all his glory and fame where both pastor and congregation declare less of us and more of God, where not one of us may boast save only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, for the sake of God's glory, the strength, the safety, and health of the church, and yes, the joy of the church, we must care far more for God's vision, His blueprint, and less of our own apart from Him. This is what we will come This is what I pray is what we're committed to and become what we're committed to all the more at College Acres. And this morning's introduction is merely set to whet your appetite for what is coming in the next several weeks. This is very different than what's coming, okay? I understand that. One thing that no one's ever said to me is that that guy right there has a hidden agenda. Oh, some try. Just ask me a question and you'll know what I think real quick. I have no hidden agenda. This is my agenda this morning. The lesson is simple but powerful. God's word is a great blessing and obeying it is the basis for true happiness, joy, worship, ministry, and success. But where the word of God is not preached, the people will die in ignorance from a starvation from true knowledge, wisdom, and truth. And pray God to save us, all of us, you and I from such, This is the lesson of the proverb. And you should not let anyone corrupt this verse ever again in your understanding. Church, listen. God has already given us the vision for the church. The question is, will we apply ourselves to learn it, depend upon it, and if need be, at times, even simply get out of its way in order to obey it? And even if it goes against the cultural tide, even if it goes against the flow and the wisdom of this age. This is usually when I'm finished with my sermon. You remember I told you I might give you an extra 10 minutes? Can I do that? I was going to do it anyway. I was just being nice. Do something really quick with me. Turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. First Samuel 15. I want us to see something really quickly. And 1 through 23. And it says there in the text. I was thinking, this morning's a little different. I'm not time going to give enough illustration, well, funny enough, I don't know if you noticed, has not really been my aim this morning. I want to give you a biblical example of everything that I'm talking about this morning. Something I can point to from God's word that scares the bejeebies out of me as a pastor in a church. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel, the prophet, says, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them. Listen, this is harsh. This is hard. I get it. Listen. But kill both man and woman. Child, an infant, what? ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Telium. 200,000 men on foot, 200,000, and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, go depart, go down from among the Amaleks. 
Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. In other words, I'm getting, we're doing something here. You might want to leave. And he says, this is why, for you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt, so that the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. I'll stop real quick. You might say, why is God prescribing this horrible, horrendous thing to happen to the, the, these people, the Amalekites? Well, the issue is, when they were coming out of the, out of the desert, when God's people was going before out of Egypt, do you know what the Amalekites did to the nation of Israel? They came and attacked at the back end and they took out all their kids and all their sick and all their widows and all the, the helpless among them. They took them out one by one, just kept on taking the number out. And God prescribed a judgment on the Amalekites for a generation later. I will deal with their, what they've done to my people. So God is, it's not, this is not whimsy pamsy stuff. God is dealing in wrath on regards to what these people have done to the Israelites. Verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took, listen, listen, listen. Listen, 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 listen. It's all going to start unraveling right here. Listen. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best, listen, listen, listen. Agag, the king, and the best of the sheep and the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good, it would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they voted to destruction. All that was despised. Children despised. Women, the sick, we kill them. But goats and camels and donkeys, oh, Agag, the king, We'll keep them. He had no problem. No problem with killing. Let me, just, let me just get that straight. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have ever made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was... that word? He was angry. And he cried to the Lord all night. Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Caramel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself. Uh-huh, uh-huh. For who? Himself. And turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you, the Lord. I have performed the co- commandment of our Lord. Let me tell you what this means. Saul says, flattery, flattery, flattery will I give you. Blessed are you, Samuel. Here you are. Samuel came to Saul. He said, blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, I love it. Then, then what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? A battle just went down I don't know if you know this in war you don't take you don't take sheep with you you're not doing sheep things you're doing slaying things all right and what is all the stuff that I hear in my ears now listen look at this this is, this is beautiful watch this Saul said they have they they have brought them they not me those people brought them from the Amalekites for the people the people nothing to do with me the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Samuel, calm down. I mean, you do realize that we took them so we could worship God, right? We want to give them, we want to, we want to sacrifice to him. We want to give him a little extra, extra, a little spice on top. I mean, uh, why is this such a bad thing, guys? Well, church, why is this so bad? Samuel has good intentions, right? Well, actually, he has no good intentions. Just that in a minute. He said, in the rest we have, destru- uh, we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. I didn't yell. He did. Exclamation point. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last, this night. And he said to him, speak. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. 
Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what, uh, what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul replied, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, which God said never to do. Mind you, continue. And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, the people, they took all the spoil, sheep and oxen, and best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Stop. And I'll finish up. Agag, the king of Amalekites, he was a trophy. You know that, right? And so Saul can sit at table and banquet. And when people come and sit at his table, he can sit there and say, I am king of Israel. Look, I have kings that eat the crumbs from my table. Oh, he loved Agag. He had compassion. No, he wanted his trophy case full. And Agag just so happened to be a really, really neat piece of trophy. By the way, we did all these things. I mean, I know it looks like we might have not obeyed completely, but we did it for worship's sake. We did this to love and honor God. What he says next, 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is of the sin of divination and presumption is an iniquity and adultery. Idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And then I'll end on this. I see that picture before me in the Old Testament. Don't get cutesy. Don't get creative. Don't do what you think is good for God. Church, listen to me. Listen to him. Listen to him. Isaiah 1. You don't have to go there, but listen to this. This is what I've always been scared of as a pastor and as a Christian in the church, as a man of the church. Verse 10 says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of your God, you people of Gomorrah. And by the way, he's speaking of Israel. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? This is what God declares. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath are the calling, and your, the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in, so, in the solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. God says to the nation of Israel, I see what you're doing, and I see what you're doing in my name. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for all your action and all your moving and all your excitement and all your festivals and all your feasts and all your things and all your religion and all things you're doing. And he says, stop. I did not ask these of you, for to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey my word and my command is better than your creativity any day of the week. And please listen to what I'm not saying. Pastor Kyle says we're not to be creative. No, 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 no. But that creativity shall never not have as a blueprint and as a safety measure the word of God as our blueprint and our plan on going forward. It will never take the place. It shall never take the place. And this is what this mini-series will be all about in the coming weeks. Say, Kyle, why are you doing this series? And I'll tell you why. We pray something a lot. Naomi hears it a lot. I think Scott and Dan and myself, we, I pray something a lot. We pray something a lot. Lord God, would you please grow us at College Acres spiritually? Lord God, would you please grow us relationally with one to another, the church? And Lord God, yes, would you even grow us numerically as a church? We pray those three, those three things often. In other words, we're saying, God, bless us. We will wait on you. This is our prayer. Now, we must receive a clear vision of God's word and how we can best receive the blessing of God in these areas as we seek to grow God's way.
That's what the next couple weeks are going to be about. This is an introduction. It's going to be a lot different than the sermons you'll hear in the next couple weeks. But brothers and sisters, I love you too much to have you thinking and guessing and questioning my motives. This is it this morning. This is it.